0: This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on this week's program, the Library of Florida History in Cocoa is hosting an evening with Stetson Kennedy to commemorate the new edition of his classic Florida book, Palmetto Country.
1: And the oral history, of course, is a participant and a witness, at least, and uh, they're, they're seeing it with all their sensory organs. And for that reason, it
2: has more validity from my point of view. We'll visit Gilbert's Bar House of Refuge. The Gulf Stream is only about two miles off our beaches here. There was a lot of shipping traffic here for hundreds of years.
0: And look at a theatrical work based on changes in Florida's fishing industry. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers.
3: I done spent my last three cents, mailing my letter to the President. Make a show I didn't make a dent So I'm swinging over to this independent chain Stetson Kennedy, writing his name in Stetson Kennedy, writing his name in I can't wait out to save my this dupont got me in the hole They were profit boys and Squawking and barking That's what's got me out here Walking and talking Knocking on doors and windows Wake up a rundown down election morning And scribble in Stetson Kennedy
0: The song Stetson Kennedy was written by folk legend Woody Guthrie in support of Stetson Kennedy's independent campaign for the U.S. Senate in 1950. The song was rediscovered and recorded by Billy Bragg and Wilco in 2000. Stetson Kennedy's social activism and the books that came from it have made him a Florida icon. On Friday, September 25th, the Library of Florida History in Cocoa is hosting An Evening with Stetson Kennedy. The $75 admission fee includes a conversation with Kennedy, a signed copy of the brand-new edition of Kennedy's classic Florida book, Palmetto Country, and food and wine provided by the Friends of the Florida Historical Society. Stetson Kennedy's career began in 1937 when he joined the WPA's Florida Writers Project. At the age of 21, he was named head of the unit on folklore,
1: oral history, and socio-ethnic studies. Well, it was was the Great Depression, for one thing. And I didn't have a job along with tens of millions of other Americans. And uh, at the same time, President Roosevelt had organized something called the Federal Writers Project. And I thought this would be an opportunity for a 21-year-old to start a writing career. So I signed up for the Florida Writers Project. And in a short time, they did uh, elevate me to that position. I was wearing three hats. Uh, Zora Neale Hurston, as a matter of fact, was uh my i was her boss she was not an easy one to boss i can tell you she fortunately worked out of her home in eatonville and i was in jacksonville so it was like that
0: zora neale hurston's strong will is well known and stetson kennedy is not the only person who had difficulty supervising her in a work setting When Mary McLeod Bethune hired Hurston to run the Drama Department at Bethune-Cookman College, the two women disagreed about almost everything, and Hurston left the school after less than a year. Hurston's Harlem Renaissance contemporaries complained that she did not criticize race relations strongly enough in her writings, a view shared by her Florida Writers Project supervisor, Stetson Kennedy. Hurston grew up in Eatonville, the first incorporated municipality in the United States entirely governed by African Americans. This gave her a unique perspective on race and a strong sense of independence. Still, it was Hurston's lack of emphasis on racial difficulties that inspired Stetson Kennedy to make the issue a focal point of his work.
1: do free association with me and Zora, the first thing I think of was a little story she sent in. said one day God was on his way to Palatka and him and St. Peter was hoofing it and it went on from there. <laughs> so everything she sent in was a, a real jewel. Uh, Alan Lomax was also a good friend of mine, colleague, and he said that in the field Zora was absolutely magnificent. He was recording in Eatonville with Zora in as early as 35, and they went on out to the Everglades and, and to the Georgia Sea Islands. Yeah, Zora was, was a mess. <laughs> well, uh, awesome. Our politics uh, were very different. Uh, uh, she never turned in any black po- protest lore, for example. And, of course, that was one of the very few forms that the blacks could protest. If it didn't rhyme and you didn't dance a jig the while, you were dead. Uh, but Zorro chose to ignore all that stuff, and so I made it one of my specialties.
0: From 1937 to 1942, Stetson Kennedy lugged around a recorder the size of a coffee table to record the oral histories, tall tales and folk songs of a diverse group of Floridians from cracker cowboys to Greek sponge divers to turpentine industry workers.
1: Actually, it was a precursor to the uh, the wire recorder came uh, next uh, before the tape recorder and this recorder was like a, a coffee table except it took two or three good men to lift it when we wanted to go out on the railroad tracks or on the pogey fishing boats. uh, We had to get some manpower, and it was uh, on the tracks. It was powered by two automobile batteries. So that's, that's what we had to work with. I called it the thing.
0: The recordings that Stetson Kennedy
1: made in the cities,
0: towns, and rural backwoods of Florida led to the classic 1942 book, Palmetto Country this important social history of Florida is being republished by the Florida Historical Society Press with a new afterword and 80 historic photographs.
1: It was one of the first volumes in the American Folkways series, edited by Erskine Caldwell. And uh, we really pioneered in oral history. No one had ever heard of it at, up at that time, talking about 1935 and 6, I recall here in Titusville, uh, I, I was interviewing an elderly black man. This is a later period, and I um, happened to mention the moonshot, and he said, "You don't believe that stuff, do you?" And uh, I said, well, "You know." Uh, he says, "It's just some more of that BS the government puts out." <laughs> it was an exciting, uh, you know, field to be in. We we had a lot of fun, well, like,
0: like kids on a treasure hunt, really. As a pioneer of oral history, Kennedy is pleased to see how the field has advanced in recent decades.
1: Yes, uh, just recently at the Library of Congress, uh, they have launched something called StoryCorps, in which these streamlined uh, sound studios on wheels uh, are touring the country and uh, taking oral histories uh, from coast to coast. And they uh, honored me with letting me kick it off with an interview. And yes, indeed, it's come come a long way. I'm a great believer in oral history because uh, I call it the dictatorship of the the footnote. The the academicians uh, are quoting each other instead of uh, going out and getting first-hand primary source material. And oral history, of course, is a participant and a witness, at least. And uh, they're, they're seeing it with all their sensory organs. And for that reason, it has more validity from my point of view.
0: Some historians argue that oral histories are sometimes less reliable than more traditional research sources because people's memories are not always accurate. Kennedy believes that the best history comes from the recollections of everyday people.
1: It's uh, uh, being there and uh, telling history from the bottom up is, of course, history. It's the little man that makes history and not the generals. And uh, so I like to hear from the little man.
0: Folk musician Woody Guthrie, best known for the song, This Land Is Your Land, was a big fan of Stetson Kennedy's work. Guthrie spent many of his last years living in Kennedy's house in Beluthahatchee Park.
1: I recall Guthrie saying at one time, uh, Stetson's not exactly a folklorist, he's a po-focused, by which he meant, uh, I suppose, a champion of the poor, uh, one of the folk, and not writing from, from some other point of view. Yes, Woody uh, spent a lot of time at my place up in St. Johns County. And in fact, we just discovered 80-plus songs that he wrote in St. Johns County uh, all about my place and uh, the wildlife. And uh, I remember one song called Baby Buzzard. Baby Buzzard, uh, look all young in that limousine, some of the rottenest stuff you've ever seen. And <laughs> so on, 80 songs here in Florida, and it was all new material for Woody, he was writing about, he'd pick up manuscripts, I was overseas, but he'd pick up my manuscripts and ended up writing, turning them them into songs, and things like chain gang and peonage and sweat boxes and things Woody had never thought about before, uh, he made songs out of them.
0: It was Stetson Kennedy's infiltration of the Ku Klux Klan and other white supremacist groups that earned him national and international recognition. Using the name John Perkins, Kennedy was able to secretly gather information that helped lead to the incarceration of a number of domestic terrorists. These experiences led to the 1954 book, I Rode with the Klan, which was later republished as The Klan Unmasked. I spent
1: a lot of time in front of the mirror, you know, practicing the N-word and things like that. Uh, I didn't really have the face for it. In fact, I almost got killed. Uh, An interviewer came down from New York and I cautioned him about, you know, uh, blowing my cover. But he goes back and writes about this intense young man with a poet's face and that almost got me killed. (laughs) There weren't that many of them in the clan.
0: As racial tensions were rising in the United States in the 1950s, Kennedy was having difficulty getting his books exposing bigotry published. The French existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, best known for the play No Exit, published Kennedy's book The Jim Crow Guide
1: in Paris in 1956. I first uh, infiltrated uh, during the war when the Klan was afraid that uh, President Roosevelt might uh, prosecute them under the War Powers Act. So they didn't put on their robes and they changed their names to various things like uh, American Shores Patrol and American Gentile Army and things like that. So that's how it all began. And yes, it's, it was exciting to put it mildly. Uh, when I went overseas, uh, some years later, I thought I'd get away from my nightmares, you know, being caught, but in Paris it was raining frequently. and The French traffic cops wore white rubber raincoats with capes and hoods, and their hand signals were very much like the Klan signals. So I kept on having nightmares.
0: Although he never forgot his roots as a native Floridian, born in Jacksonville on October 5, 1916, Stetson Kennedy did choose to live abroad for about a
1: decade. Well, McCarthy was going on. Uh, Eisenhower was president, and he was, as presidents go, he wasn't all that bad. But there was McCarthy, And um, no, I went over to testify about slave labor uh, in the United States uh, before the United Nations in Geneva. And I went with a one-way ticket and eight dollars left over. So uh, I was pretty much obliged to stay until I could, (laughs) and it took me eight years, so to speak, to raise the round-trip home, Uh, during which time I saw most of Europe and North Africa and. Uh, across eastern europe as far as china i was i think the first uh independent journalist to get into china in uh, 54 i believe it was
0: harry t moore was an educator and civil rights activist who founded the progressive voters league registering tens of thousands of african american voters in florida he was a statewide leader of the naacp and fought for equal treatment for african americans in the justice system before he was killed, when a bomb exploded under his home on Christmas night, 1951, Harry T. Moore endorsed Stetson Kennedy's campaign for the U.S. Senate.
1: Well, I recall uh, being here in the Titusville area. I came back; uh, Moore was blown to pieces on Christmas night of 1951, which he and his wife had blown through the roof, uh, with mattress and all. Uh, I came back a decade or so later riding around talking to people to Mills, Florida, where it happened. And there was this elderly black man sitting under a shade tree and I walked up and asked if he remembered uh, the night. And he said, uh, remember? Said, How could I ever forget? He said, uh, sounded like a cannon going off. I said to myself, uh, strange way to be celebrated Christmas night. Uh, Moore and I went back well, I, I was on the Moore case before it happened you might say I had announced for the United States Senate as an independent colorblind uh, candidate for total equality. This is 1950 when uh, you know it took a lot less than that to get you killed and Moore's organization of, of black Floridian voters uh, called a meeting and invited the Democratic and Republican Candidates and me to speak to them, and I'm the only one who showed up, and so they endorsed me unanimously. And so that's how it it didn't really begin there because I had attended uh, meetings with Moore, state NAACP meetings in Ocala and Orlando, uh, so that uh, we were acquainted before that campaign. But I'm uh, always felt guilty that the feeling that uh, my campaign, his endorsement of it, uh, played a major part in getting him killed. The Library
0: of Florida History in Cocoa is hosting an evening with Stetson Kennedy on Friday, September 25th. The event coincides with the republishing of Kennedy's classic book, Palmetto Country, by the Florida Historical Society Press. For reservations to the event, call 321-690-1971, extension 205. For more information, go to myfloridahistory.org and click on Special Events.
3: I ain't the world's best writer, ain't the world's best speller, but when I believe in something, I'm the loudest, yeah. If we fix it so you can't make no money on war, well, we'll all forget what we were killing folks for. We'll find us a peace job, equal and free, well, dumb matters, to find a...
0: This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. I'm Ben Brotemarkle. Join us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. Janie Gould takes us to one of the oldest existing structures in South Florida, Gilbert's Bar House of Refuge in Stewart. In
4: 1876, General Custer was defeated at the Battle of the Little Bighorn, Alexander Graham Bell got a patent for the first telephone, and Colorado became the nation's 38th state. In all of southeast Florida in 1876, there were no more than 300 settlers. That same year, the U.S. government built Gilbert's Bar House of Refuge on a rocky spit of land between the ocean and intercoastal waterway. The keepers who lived there gave food and shelter to shipwreck victims.
2: The Gulf Stream is only about two miles off our beaches here. There was a lot of shipping traffic here for hundreds of years.
4: The House of Refuge is now a museum that's open to the public, and Jim McCormick is called the Assistant Keeper. The old boathouse where he greets visitors contains a gift shop along with displays of shells and even some skulls.
2: Displayed there are uh, turtle skulls, because as you know, Hutchinson's Island is famous for our turtles.
4: I seem to remember, I may be wrong, but years ago there was a vat with sea turtles here, is that correct?
2: Back in the 1950s, the house or refuge began to serve as a refuge for turtles. Turtles were becoming endangered, and it was an effort to try to preserve and enhance them out here.
4: So then my memory is not wrong.
2: Not at all. I would say approximately 50% of the visitors have a story. uh, I remember when I came out here as a child with my parents to see the turtles, or when I was a young parent, I brought my children out to see the turtles.
4: These days, the House of Refuge is operated by the Historical Society of Martin County. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. Sandra Thurlow, with her daughter-in-law, Deanna Thurlow, has just written a book about it called Home of History. It is an amazing structure. Why was it so important to history? I feel like its most important mission was to begin civilizing South Florida. When you look at an early census, you will see that most of the people in South Florida had jobs at the lighthouses or at the houses of refuge. And anyone who came down would stop at the Houses of Refuge. And the only means of transportation was what we're looking at, the river and the ocean. Indeed. Early in the 20th century, the House of Refuge became a Coast Guard station. An observation tower was built during World War II, where Coast Guardsmen watched for German submarines. Historic exhibits in the main building go back thousands of years to pottery pieces from an ice Indian midden. Upstairs, the keepers' living quarters have been redone in period furnishings, including wooden marbles that children of the times played with. Not much food could be grown in the sandy terrain.
2: The main course was a lot of seafood here.
4: In 2004, Hurricanes Francis and Jean made landfall practically on the back porch of the House of Refuge. Portions of MacArthur Boulevard were washed out, and Sailfish Point was cut off for weeks. This building that we're standing in was not destroyed. This old building stood firm.
2: For 130-some years, it's taken everything that Mother Nature can throw at her.
4: On a recent morning in May, a gentle breeze blew into the House of Refuge from the ocean.
2: If there's a wind blowing up the ocean, the waves will literally hit the rocks and uh, kick the water up over the house.
4: Gilbert's Bar House of Refuge is at 301 Southeast MacArthur Boulevard, Stewart, about 25 miles south of Fort Pierce.
0: Janie Gould from WQCS prepared that report. This is Florida Frontiers.
3: As the son of a son of a sailor, I went out on the sea for adventure. Expanding the view of the captain and crew Like a man just released from indenture As a dreamer of dreams and a traveling man I have chalked up many a mile Read dozens of books about heroes and crooks And I learned much from both of their styles Son of a son, son of a son Son of a son of a sailor, son of a gun, Oh the last time. one step ahead of the jailer.
0: The Florida net ban amendment, implemented in 1995 after a bitter debate between commercial fishermen and recreational advocacy groups, has changed the face of the state's coastal waters. Bill Dudley looks at a theatrical performance that dramatically represents the plight of the fisherman while honoring the history of a proud working tradition.
5: My great-great-grandfather was sent here from Charleston to fight the Third Seminole War. I was named after him, Wade Curtis, except my mama gave me the middle name of Ray because she says I was a ray of sunshine in her life.
6: Actor Joel Coker plays an out-of-work commercial fisherman in his mid-50s in a one-man play about the lives of fishing families impacted by Florida's net ban. Curtis the fisherman alternately rails about the laws and regulations that have affected his livelihood and reminisces about his life on the water.
5: I like night water best. Swells of phosphorus, one milky way above me and another in my wake. Moonlight glancing off the shell of a turtle swimming back out to sea from laying her eggs on the beach.
7: We wanted to capture a moment in time because we know it's going to be soon over.
6: Florida author Evelyn Wild Mayerson wrote the script after talking to scientists, environmentalists, and the fishermen themselves.
7: The commercial fisherman is on his way out. He probably has another five years is that. It's like the small farmer, the independent farmer, the cowboy, all of these things which are very much a part of America. The original America was founded on farmers and fishermen. It's so indigenous to our entire philosophy.
6: The idea for the play grew out of a collaboration between Meyerson and Fort Pierce architect and artist Philip Steele, who is focused on working people and maritime occupations in particular in his paintings.
2: These guys were my neighbors right across the street from where I work, and I would go over at lunchtime or early in the morning, and I'd watch them, and I'd get to know them. So I'd gotten more and more involved with these guys, and I said, you know... This is a small group of people that not very many people know anything about. They don't know how they live. They're a very insular group. They're, they're very religious people. They're very nice people to each other. They're just wonderful people to be with.
6: For the Net Loss Project, Steele produced 12 new works depicting fishing families and their jobs. The paintings form the backdrop for the play, which according to Florida International University labor historian Peggy Wilson, is itself part of a larger tradition.
4: It really goes back to the labor theater from the 1920s and the 1930s when union activists themselves got involved with looking at things that they wanted to bring to the public's attention or to other union members, and they would do either short skits, more formal plays. So that's one part of the tradition, and this is a very strong one.
6: There were the New Deal programs of the 1930s, the WPA Federal Writers and Federal Theater projects, and the murals that survive in some public buildings today, all part of an effort to honor and preserve the traditions of America's working people.
4: As the work itself is disappearing... It has a major impact upon the kinds of lives that are led in the communities that the people lived in and the ability of those communities to continue to sustain themselves. They will disappear, and this kind of community that was based on natural
7: rhythms is something that is going to slip away from us. I think anybody who comes to Florida, particularly because I'm a native Floridian, owes something to the state of Florida. And that is they should learn something about what Florida stands for, what what some of our issues are, some of our problems, our water issue. I think it behooves anybody who comes down here to retire. Golfing isn't it, folks. That's not all there is. You owe something to the community and you owe something to the natural environment. You need to find out about it and you need to protect it. You can't protect it if you don't know what the issues are.
6: But Mayerson and Steele insist their mission is not to take sides in the ongoing debate, but rather to pay tribute to a vanishing way of life.
8: I hate to say it, but I quit school naturally to go fishing. You know how that is. But ever since I was 15 years old, I've been fishing. Of course, I fished with Daddy all the time after school, and the boy is fishing still, and his son is fishing, and I've got great-grandsons that's fishing.
6: Retired commercial fisherman Rupert Hardin was one of several members of fishing families present at two recent performances in Fort Pierce.
8: It feels like somebody maybe really is concerned about us. Because we really, I felt, was a pretty good part of everything until all this happened. We always felt like, said, man, doesn't anybody care? I mean, we was somebody, and now all of a sudden it seemed like we was nothing. You know, it really hurt, you know?
5: i bet you didn't know that a heart of a turtle will beat for hours after it's been cut up and butchered. Me and my buddies, we're like the turtles. You can cut us up and turn us into soup, but our hearts will still be beaten. We'll still be here, dropping a hook over the side, making the line fast to a ring bolt in the stern.
6: I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida
0: Humanities Council. Visit us on the web at flahum.org. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us again next week, and until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org. Have a great week. I'm Ben Markle.